Good morning. Defender, study on the book of Jude. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning for this service. And if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Jude, right back at the very end of the New Testament almost, one page, it's 25 verses, kind of like Philemon in terms of, you know, it's a really short content. We're going to do five weeks on that. But it'll be a seven-week period because one week we're going to do Father's Day, a special deal there. And we've got Colin Levi here, uh, June the 22nd. You want to mark that? They're a fabulous singing group, and they'll lead both celebrations that morning. They'll come in here and just wear it out for the king. So I uh, hope you'll be here and invite guests to join you. Well, this morning, I'm glad that uh, we get to study this. It's been fun freestyling for the uh, past month and doing different messages, but I'm back in a series, and this is an exposition of the book of Jude. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. One thing about it, you can read it pretty quickly and we're only going to do the first four verses today. So verses 1 through 4 will be our text. Uh, it was written around A.D. 65. There was a purpose. He, Jude thought he would talk about what they have concerning their salvation and talk about the salvation message. But then the Holy Spirit redirected him, and it was about something totally different about the Gnostics and the heretics. And we're going to talk about what all that means today and try to give you a, a biblical foundation. And because a lot of times you hear people going, man, you heretic and you apostate. And you think, man, you think they cussed you out or they call you a vegetable or you don't know what it is. And, and the thing is, we want to look biblically at what the word teaches and what it says. So we'll, we'll do that together. Um, what I want to say though is, uh, there was a, a term. I'm not a, how many of you are Star Trek fans? You're, you're trackies. I mean, how many of you are Star Trek? Yeah. Okay. How many are not? Yeah, okay. And uh, I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but we have a really fun guy, the percussionist Barry. He, he loves uh, Star Trek, but many of you do. But there was a, a term in, in that series, and they go, red alert. Well, here at the church a few years ago, we had a situation, Mike remembers this and others, uh, financially we were not given as well as we needed to, and we called it a red alert situation, and, man, it was just not the most fun we've had. And uh, so... Red Alert is the title of today's message, and, and that's what Jude does. He's trying to, to forewarn the people. He's trying to warn them because there was all this uh, thing called Gnosticism that was battling the church of Jesus Christ. And in 2008, we're still battling uh, incredible uh, political, spiritual, religious challenges out there on the horizon, uh, Internet, TV, radio, media, books, print, magazines, you just name it. It's just amazing. So... We have a spiritual alert. And I was really encouraged this week. I was visiting somebody in the hospital. And as we were getting into the conversation, I knew that I knew I was supposed to preach this series because they had been battling some things that they were discerning in their spirit, man, that things were wrong. They were not lining up with Holy Scripture. So God just, you know, he has a way of uh, reminding me that he's in charge of his church and he has a way of showing me, hey, this is what I want you to preach. So a lot of you will walk away going, hey, that was really good information. I was a little inspired. Some of you are like, man, I was convicted. Some of you will go, hey, that's for another day. Some of you are like, man, I'm right in the middle of that. Uh, but I, I, I know this, God's word always speaks regardless of where you're at. Every weekend as I preach, people come to me, man, you were talking about this. My friends were here from California. They were in from Chicago. They were in from across the street, wherever they came. And that word was just for them. That's the way God's word is. And some weeks it, it maybe lasers you a little bit more than others. But Jude writes to warn, to sound the alarm. And then here's the first blank. I want you to look there quickly. We must stoutly defend the Christian faith. It's not something to be... Uh, 
just loosely, uh, you know, I put my faith in Jesus. I just kind of a little bit embrace it. I mean, it's to be embraced wholeheartedly with all that you are, all that you are becoming and all that you want to become. You did need to embrace the, the tenets, the, the, the structure, the doctrines, the disciplines of faith, the disciplines of what Holy Scripture teaches. So he speaks into that. But there's these Greek words. And the first one it comes from apostate. It's apostasy. So just get ready to write that. It simply means this. It means falling away from. The people were in this movement. They were in the faith. And they drifted. They got off course. They, they fell away from the faith. And that's what it means when they talk about apostasy and apostates. They've, they've decided to go from the orthodox position to their own position or to a position that is not biblical. And they get in trouble. So he writes about that. He goes... They have fallen away from, they have abandoned the faith in Christ Jesus, and, and it's not healthy. If you look at the book of Jude, and then you look over at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, very similar parallel text. Like, who wrote who first? Well, a lot of scholars really think Jude was written first, but the thing is, the, the material, the content is so similar. And you might want to do that just later in your own study. But as you look at this, there, there's a, there's a revolt against the truth. Of scripture. There's a revolt against Christianity. And this was in the day there with Gnosticism being prevalent. It's very uh, like that in 2008, isn't it? I mean, people were repelling, pushing away from, denying the Lordship, the sovereign rule of Almighty God. So it's very uh, practical for where we are. And then there's the word heresy, and it means they have a nonconformist view from orthodoxy, from or an orthodox way of thinking. Now, I want you to write this down this word orthodox because in the front of our worship guide, it talks about we hold on to an orthodox Christian uh, structure, to a faith. And orthodox just simply means right belief. The right belief based on this book centered in holy writ of Scripture. And that's what God wants us to be as orthodox Christians. And, and when we move away from biblical Christianity, then we're no longer orthodox in our beliefs. So the heresy, there was a view uh, that is established by Scripture, and they decided to depart from that. So when somebody goes away from an established system, they're called a heretic. So we get the word heresy. So you have apostasy. And yeah, heresy, you know, I know you're going, wow, that was just really interesting. For somebody, somebody you're like, hey, I already knew what it was, or somebody called me that one time, I didn't know what they meant. But Jude shifts from common salvation to warning against how the church is going to be under fire. He says, contend, defend, fight for, go to war for your faith. It's, it's, it's worth everything. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a, a powerful thing here. Because there's an outbreak of false teachers. And it pollutes, it dilutes the church of the living Christ. And I see that so prevalent today as I watch television. There's a lot of junk, bump, non-biblical. They have some of it, and then they just throw away, they abandon, they get wrapped in their own philosophy, their own ideologies, their own thought processes. Then we have cults that come out of that, and religions, and modern-day prophets. And it's just really like the whole thing that we're watching on the news, the LDS group, they're out of Texas, and I'm not here to debate where they should have taken them and they did it right and they've done it wrong and all that. But there's there's definitely lots of movements that are all over the, the world and all over our country because of our freedom. So Jude, uh, Jude dissects this. He says apostates, uh, their true character, their moral fiber, uh, who they are is revealed, their moral era, 
And he comes to, to defute that. But I want you to uh, write down two things. A pastor named Jeff Shreve said this, and I really liked it. Number one, there's two ways that the devil is attacking the church. So get ready to write. Number one is persecution. If you look at the book of Acts, specifically chapter 8, you see uh, attacks. You see persecution on Christ followers, on, on the church. And it's simply to stop out Christianity to uh, to push it away, to, to move it away from. But every time the church of Jesus is persecuted, every time the martyrs shed their blood, the church does what? It thrives. It prevails. And I love that because Jesus says, the, hates, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my, against my, against my church. And that's the good news. You read it in the book, you're like, man, we win. The Christians win. The church wins. The church triumphant. It's, a, it's an awesome deal. So persecution here. And then the second one is the infiltration of the enemy. So the church, Christ followers are persecuted. Now there's an infiltration of the enemy. He comes to seek, kill, destroy, devour. The Bible says that he crept in. Uh, I'm always looking for side doors, side windows, ministries, different things. The devil is always looking for a way. And when we're not grounded and, and tethered to the scripture, then we're suspect to falling to whatever comes our way. I mean, there, there's so much. Let's just look at Holy Scripture. Look there in the book of Jude with me. Starting in verse 1. And there's, you notice there's no chapter, so you just go Jude 1. It's, it's really hard for me to do that. You don't go 1 and 22 or chapter 1, verse 22. You just go verse 1. Jude, a servant of uh, Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, they're kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. He gives a salutation like many of the epistles and the letters we read. Then verse 3 Here's the sin and doom of the godless men of the age. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about salvation that we share, that was this, that was this thrust, but he gets a redirect. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Underline that in your Bible. He says, I want you to defend it. I want you to go to war. I want you to be mine. I want you to be sown out. Contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That's the body of Christ. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign, what? And Lord. And that's happening today. That the enemy would come, and he doesn't come in a pitchfork and a little red suit with ears. He comes through people. He comes to destroy. He comes to confuse. When there is confusion, it's not of God. Our God is a God of order, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the enemy always brings confusion. So if there's confusion around something, you're like, man, where's this coming from? It's probably coming from the enemy. Okay, so as we build through this, I want you to see that the infiltration of the enemy, he, there's all these pseudo-doctrines and ideologies that are being uh, broadcast across our world and we hear this and if we and sometimes they create little ripples or big ripples and if we don't know scripture we, we can fall for almost anything because we live in a i want to feel good make me feel good well i'm convinced i think i have the gifts that i could build a lot bigger crowd but my goal is to build a crowd that loves the lord jesus christ and that is going to heaven and a crowd that is becoming like Jesus Christ, not a crowd that's probably not going to make it into heaven or they don't know what biblical Christianity is. They just all want to have their ears tickled. They want to be itched. So I'm very excited about that because God called me 
over 30 years ago to be a biblical believer that I would love his word and put it in my spirit. So don't, if you're susceptible to false teaching, you're really susceptible if you don't know what God's word says. So you got to get in there daily. Number, here's the qualities. Look inside the box. This is really good. Number one, false teachers are valueless. They, they don't hold to the values that scripture teaches. They, they might have some of that, but then they would begin to walk in different era. In Isaiah, the 29th chapter, the 13th verse, it says this. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. And then Isaiah 9, 16, those who guide this people mislead them and those who are guided are led astray. And he goes on and on. He's talking about the, the, the or, or people being, uh, you know, going in a wrong direction. I want you to turn over to a passage with me. This is really good. Turn over to the book of Ezekiel. I'm just going to take you through some passages. Some of these will come up on the screen. Some won't. This one won't. I want you to look at Isaiah. I mean, uh, Ezekiel chapter 34. And, and this is a word for me. This is a word for my chaplain friend down here, Dave. This is a, a word for pastors. This is a word for, for teachers. This is a word for small group leaders. This is a word for, for elders. This, this is a word for Christ followers. But it really sobers me up in the, not that I'm drunk or anything, you know, when you read about, okay. But when you read, oh, I don't, when you read that, you're like, man, get sober. Like, what? Were you drinking? No. It means, you know, you have a, a focused mind. Let's look at what scripture says. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? That's my job. That's the job of leadership is to protect, to unify, to feed, to nurture, to encourage, to lead you in the pursuit of the holiness of God. And but you know we, you can just watch so many things a day or read and you just see man a lot of people looking out for themselves they're not looking out for the things of the kingdom they're not looking out for the flock that God's entrusted to them they're about themselves the Bible says that you are to look out for me and take care of my needs and then I'm supposed to feed you and shepherd the flock that God's entrusted to me and you're in a small group God has called a shepherd over you to hold you accountable biblical and, and, and biblically and to grow in Christ Jesus so there's valueless there let's look at the next one here although. I got, I got to give you one more. I didn't share it last service, but I need to hear. Chap, Malachi chapter two, verses seven and eight. So very last book of the Old Testament before the period of 400 years of silence before Matthew. Flip to Matthew and just turn right before it. You're in Malachi. Malachi chapter two, verses seven and eight. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have called you to be despised. No, 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 no. Should it not be so to those that are Christ's followers, to those God has given the gift to teach, may they lead in truth and not in error. Second one, look at, write it down quickly. They're destructive. They only care about themselves. They can care less about God. And they really could care less about others and the body of Christ. They, they're destructive. They're destroying. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30 says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. I want you to stop right there. Savage wolves. What is the picture you get there? Gnarling, ugly, ferocious, strong animal that would rip you. Now, if a wolf comes after you, what are you going to do? Well, you're like, I'm going to shoot it. 
Well, me, I'm going to run because I don't have a gun. I'm, 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 I'm going to leave the place. Let's look at the rest of the scripture. Savage wolves will come in among you and you will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise. They'll distort truth in order to draw away disciples after them. That's what's happening. James Jones back, uh, back in the seventies, the, uh, the Africa deal where the people, they were educated, they were religious, they were had so many things, but they didn't know Scripture, and they ended up drinking Kool-Aid and dying, and you go through the different movements and the different cults, and you see that people that do not get grounded in Scripture will fall for anything. You've got to get in God's Word. You've got to say, God, this doesn't witness to me, but why? And let God point you in the direction that He wants you to go. Third, they have the capacity, false teachers do, to lead people astray. And they just lead them off the mark. They lead them off the course, off the directives of, of Holy Scripture of what God wants. And so Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, listen to the word of the Lord. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce unstable. They're experts in greed and a cursed brood. They've left the straight way. They've wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, and who love the wages of wickedness. They're all about wickedness. They're all about themselves. They're, I mean, they're out for themselves. They're, you know, the things of, the, of of God, that's not them. They're about building their kingdom, not advancing the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light. So they have the capacity. And then the fourth one, I want you to see this. This is very important. Is they may be popular. They tickle ears. They say what you want to hear. I don't want to name any names because that's not my job to judge others. But i got to tell you, there's a lot of that going on in the body of Jesus Christ. And the church said, it's sad. So that's why I'm not coming here to entertain you. And there is entertainment value here all weekend when we meet and have worship. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. I think God can redeem the arts. I think God can redeem, redeem entertainment. And we're thrilled about the tools that God's given us. But ultimately, my job is to feed you the undefilable, unpolluted, the pure, holy word of the Lord God Almighty. This is the thing that's going to... Uh, keep you from starving spiritually. This is the thing that's going to make you more like Christ. This is the thing that's going to please your Father and my Father in heaven. So they may be popular. Second Peter 2, 2 says, Many will follow their shameful ways and they will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And then Jesus moves into a thing and just filling in right outside the box. Jesus condemns false teachers. He doesn't uh, do it in a milk toast way. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He just goes, Hey, you're not for me. You're against me. And this is what I think about you heretics. This is what I think about you apostates. And then Jesus doesn't, well, you know, I think we all should sit around the cooler and sing together and love one another. Like Jesus, man, look, I condemn you. This is wrong. Matthew 5, 19. Anyone who breaks one of these, the least of these commandments, teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Mark 8, 15. It's not in, in the screen. Just listen. Be careful then. Jesus warned them to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus is very serious about watching out. But I want to give you an illustration. I think this might help. For some of us in this room today, we, uh, we have a contention, we have a battle going on. And it's kind of a fun illustration, but it's going to make the point. We battle between our cell phone and against the Word of God. And our cell phones mean everything to us. I mean, some of us sleep with our cell phones and we go to the shower with our cell phone. Our cell phone's right there. And when we leave in the morning or go, we're running around and we're looking for the cell phone. Do I have a witness? How many of you called yourself on your cell phone trying to find your cell phone? I do it often. It'll slide out of my pocket and I'm running around the house and I hear it in a bag, in a gym bag or it's in the closet. And sometimes I'm like, I had it in the car and so many times it slid out of my pocket and I hear it ringing, and it's down between the seats. Am I telling the truth? 
You see, I don't want, and, and if I come to work and it's happened not often without my cell phone, I feel naked. I feel lost all day. Because, see, that's, a, that's an appendage. And I need that. And see, that cell phone is very important. It gives me access and contact with all these people and they call me. And then if you don't, and, the, and the very few times I've ever forgotten, people are like, I called you all day and you didn't answer. I'm like, call the church. You know? But here, here's what I'm saying. But it comes to the Word of God. The Bibles are sitting on our nightstands. Maybe the dust is on them. We haven't opened it in two days, three days, maybe since last Sunday. We haven't taken time to hide God's Word in our heart. So there's this contending, fighting, defending our faith. We're more interested in our cell phone than we are the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ouch. That hurts, doesn't it? All I'm saying is, hey, we can redeem this technology. I love it. I mean, it makes me accessible. It means I can go, I can leave the office and I can communicate. I use my cell phone all the time. It's awesome. But I want to say this. I said it in last service. I don't think it's a problem in this service, but I want to just go ahead and say it so everybody can say, I heard it. Cell phones are even ruining worship in the house of God. I go to other churches. I hear them go off. I pastor this church. I hear them go off. The other day, one went off right in the middle of the invitation. We have people that are texting during worship. Can I just tell you this? As nice as I know how. Shut the thing off. Give God an hour and 15 minutes and then cut it on until Jesus comes and start emailing and texting and Googling or whatever you got to do. And the church said, can you see then? It, it just, it, 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 it distorts. It, it keeps us from getting all that God wants. And I'm just saying, just shut it off. As soon as I come on a Sunday morning, I get here about eight o'clock. I set my phone on my credenza and I don't pick it up till about one o'clock when I leave here. There ain't nothing important but you. There's nothing important but the worship of Him. And I just encourage us that when we come into the house of the Lord, and Adam's leading us before the throne of the king. There's nothing more annoying than people over there doing this or, or answering the phone. And I said last service, and I'll say it again. There's one person I'm giving permission to bring a phone in here. His name's Dr. Jim Allen, Felix Allen. He's on call all the time. I don't want anybody to die under my watch, okay? So he needs to be a phone. Everybody else, I mean, just to go, that was my son. He wanted to know where his sneakers were. Big, tell your son to just go barefooted, Okay. Hey, somebody wanted to know how, what to put the roast on. Somebody wanted to know this. Just cut off. Okay, I'm going to get to the text now. Did, did I make it very clear? There's one thing about me. I'm real. I'm just going to lay it out there. I'm saying what everybody else is thinking. I have preachers all the time like, well, I, I just think you get too out there. Dude, I don't have time to sugarcoat it. You know what I'm saying? I don't have time to water the gospel down either. So let's get back. Here's what Paul says. Fill it in. Paul urges us to avoid false teachers, to run from false teachers, to flee from false teachers because they will corrupt our, our mind. They will corrupt the renewing of our mind. They will corrupt our spiritual disciplines. They will corrupt the doctrines that we hold dear. And if we're not careful, we could become a heretic. We could become an apostate. We could be an apostasy. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Hear the word. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. They put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. They've erected walls. They've built up things. They're keeping you from having closeness, intimacy with Christ. Avoid them. Run fast. Get away from them. Do not sit under them. And, and you know, it might be that somebody, this message is going to hit you five or ten years from now. And you're sitting in a small group or you're with somebody and you're like, that doesn't witness to my spirit. I have a check. There's something that the Holy Spirit is saying, run. I remember the pastor saying, flee, run from sin. They're false. Here's three ways. I don't know where you're going to put it. Just write it on there somewhere. Write these down quickly. Three ways that the devil attacks us. Number one, the Word of God. The enemy always comes to attack. In Genesis, he even asked the question, 
Did God really say? He's still asking that question. See, the devil doesn't have to get any new sin tricks or patterns or behaviors because the ones he's been using for thousands of years are still working just fine. So in this one, if he gets us to question, to deny the Word of God, he attacks it. Because if we don't commit to this book, we don't grow. We don't experience the presence of God. We fall away. We don't understand. We don't get all that we want. Because the devil, he hates the Word. In Genesis, he's not talked about. At the end of Revelations, he's not talked about. But everything in between Genesis and Revelations, he fights for. And that's the church that you and I live in. That's the world that we live in. It's the dispensation that we're in as Christ followers. And he knows that his time is limited, so he wants to wear us out. Hebrews 4.12, just write down the text. It says the, the living word of God is uh, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges even our thoughts. It helps us stay on course. Jesus quoted the word of God when he was tempted in the desert, when he, over, when he overcame sin. So I cannot water down the book. Uh, Bible colleges, seminaries, so many of them are liberal. They're not teaching the cross. They're not teaching the crucified life. They're not teaching the infallibility of Scripture, the authority of Holy Scripture. What do they have if you don't believe the authority of this book? This is what I base my life on. Are, are you building your life on the Word of God? Are you building your life on your cell phone? Huh, okay, I'll get away from the analogy. But the bottom line is, you just want to say, God, I love your Word. To do your will, O oh God, to hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Second Timothy, God says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what we need. It's what I need. If I don't get trained in God's word, what do I have? Uh, Calvin Miller, he says we have a concept of a great mush God. He's a God with a little G. He's not the God of the Bible. Some people today worship the God of Oprah. Can I just tell you, Oprah does a lot of good. I'm not here to bash Oprah, but I wish she would return to the God of her grandmother. She has led a lot of people astray. Also was watching some things. Her popularity is sinking fast. We've seen in the political realm when people start sinking fast, what do they do? They usually jump ship. I wish she would jump ship on this situation and go, hey, I've made an error. Because we have Ephesians 6, and God calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive we have. And so if we don't know the Word, we don't have the sword. If we don't have the sword, we don't go to battle. And we don't go to battle, we don't win. So it's important. The, the second thing is the grace of God. The enemy will come to attack the grace of God and the goodness and the mercy and the favor of the Lord. He says you have a license to sin. That in the Greek just means you have an unbridled lust. Man, you're going after the flesh. Sin abounds. Let me get you to turn to a passage here. Turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 6. Can you turn there with me? I just love when we turn pages and look. And I just encourage you to pick up a copy of the Scriptures. My preference is the NIV. You read out of whichever one God leads you to. I read lots of translations. But anyway, read it. Romans chapter 6. Listen to the Apostle Paul. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? A lot of people stop right there. Hey, man, if I sin, God just gives more grace. Let's just party on, bro. Let's just sin. It's not what he said. It's not a context. Let's read on. By no means, underline it, exclamation point, God is not into sin. Christ didn't die so we could sin. He died because of our sin. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, when we really come to know Jesus, 
we should sin less. We should definitely be broken by our sin. See, before we're Christ followers, before we have the Spirit of God, sin is fun. Sin feeds the flesh. It feels good. You're not bothered by it. You, you just let your conscience torment you, but you go on. You're, you're null and void spiritually. But when you come to know Christ and the conscience just gets to a new speed and, and the Holy Spirit, the inner working, and you get challenged and you get convicted and you're like, man, I don't enjoy doing that anymore. It's because Christ is working. The Bible says work out your salvation, not earn your salvation, but it means Christ in you working. How many of you are thrilled about that concept? Christ in you, shaping you, making you different than you ever were. That's what it means to be Christ followers. There's not enough of this preached today. A lot of people, just feel good, brother. Everybody just feel good. That's sick. I want you to feel good. I want you to be happy, but I want you to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord without holiness. It's the cry of my heart for my life and for you, the people of faith, the people that I have the honor of shepherding in these years. It's humbling. It's an awesome thing. So we look here at the grace of God, and there's a thing called Gnosticism from Gnosis, and it means superior knowledge, and they were gaining all the knowledge, and, and they had this philosophy that all matter, all physical was evil. And everything in the body, everything physical is just sick, is just wicked, is evil. But everything in the spirit is good, and they just so separated it. So they just said, hey, you just go ahead, because all that's just going to kind of go away with, and it has nothing to do with you. Because And, and they were separate. It was very dangerous doctrine that they were teaching here. And so to really know Christ is not a license to sin. It means to sin less. Now, i got to tell you, as I've grown in Christ, sometimes I feel really guilty because I know what the Word says, and I know what the Holy Spirit does, And and but you want to move from the point, I don't want to do that. That breaks my father's heart. Jesus shed his blood for that sin. Are, 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 are you painfully aware of your sin? It's not rhetorical. Are you painfully aware of your sin? Yeah, it breaks you, doesn't it? Because when you really look at the cross, you don't see anybody hanging on there. He's defeated it. And when Adam was leading us in worship this morning, man, was that powerful? Did it just say Jesus takes care of part of our sin? This rose, your rose. In your row. Side, I'm sorry, Christ didn't atone for y'all this week. Come back next weekend. No! says he atoned for all of us, for all our sin. Okay, let's move here. So no matter here, they, you encounter grace, you have a conviction in your heart, you want to sin less. And then the third point is you want to, uh, uh, the devil attacks the Son of God. He's always coming against Jesus. He wanted to be like Jesus. That's why he was kicked out of heaven. Because he was so full of pride and Lucifer... He gets dismounted. God's like, no, man, you're full of pride. You're, you're going to lead a, a legion of demons and on and on. But Jesus Christ has always been, since the beginning of time, He was, He is. He is humanity. He is divinity completely. He's the God-man. He's the God incarnate. I, I feel like today I'm giving you all these theological terms, but at least when you read them, you're like, oh, that's, that's what the pastor's talking about from Romans. That's what he's talking about in Jude. I understand it now. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ Jesus. He holds, he sustains, he holds all things together. He's that kind of God. I love what Jerry Falwell said. Whether he agreed with all his ways, but he was a mighty evangelist. He was a mighty preacher. He built the largest Christian university. And he said this. He goes, you know, I might seem narrow, but there's one thing about it. If my own mom doesn't have Jesus Christ, she won't go to heaven when she dies. Because two plus two will always equal four. 
Two plus two won't equal three. Two plus two won't equal five. But two plus two equals four. Jesus said it this way. Salvation is found in no other name but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12. But I love the sixth verse of the 14th chapter of John. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was very definitive. He said it's a narrow way. He says broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life eternal in my Son, Jesus Christ. That's where we need to go. So fill it in down at the bottom. Christ followers must contend for the purity of the church. Apostates are ungodly. There's no reverential fear of God. The gates of hell can't prevail against this. I'll put it, I'll put it this way to you. We are the bride of Christ, the church of the living Christ. Christ comes again. Do you believe Christ will come again? Will Christ come as he said he would? Yes. And he'll come for a perfect spotless bride that's been washed in the blood of Jesus. And here's, here's an amazing thought. Christ will come for us. But I've told you this analogy so many times since I remember, but every guy that's in here, every guy that's married, do you remember when you got married? Remember it, Dave? Your wife came in from the back of the church in that white dress, probably. And you went, Woo! I mean, you didn't say that out loud, but you were thinking it. She's coming for me. Your bride was coming for you. Man, you were excited about it, weren't you? How much more spiritually does the Lord Jesus Christ come for His church that is spotless, that is holy, that contends, that fights, that matures, that becomes like Christ, and you go, Lord Jesus, come quickly for the church. That's my goal. My goal is to win you to Christ, to help you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and ultimately to get you home with joy. You know, I like it when I don't have a lot of funerals, but there's one thing about it. I'm getting older. The church is getting older. And as the church matures and grows and expands, I'll do more and more funerals in the next couple of decades. But my ultimate thought is, have they contended for the faith? Have they matured in Jesus Christ? Will they make it home with joy? See, some people are like, man, I can't believe she made it. I prayed he wouldn't. No, man, you don't want to be praying somebody didn't make it to heaven. But you just wonder, man, it's all by the grace. It's all by the blood. It's by faith in the one who atoned and shed his blood for you. You say, man, have I done that? Have I, have I put my trust in Jesus Christ? But cults distort the truth. Cults attach themselves to a person, to a set of ideas, to ideology. They just, they're wicked. They're from the pit of hell and, 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 and they abound. I mean, I read, I've been studying about cults and reading about them and watching them and just seeing all the things they do. And, and man, I'm just amazed how educated people can get caught up in them. But then I think, well, you know, there's no new divine revelation. Revelation is right here in the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's, there's the, there's the canon of scripture. I don't need some guy on a donkey, uh, uh, or sitting out in a field or, a, or, a, you know, some guy that shows up with Kool-Aid going, man, I, I got, I got new truth. I found it in my backyard. You did not. You found error. You got distorted. We have Christ. Revelations 22, 18. Listen. If anyone adds anything to the word of God, God will add plagues to him described in scripture. If you read the Old Testament about the plagues, they're horrible. They're horrific. And you do not add to this book. 
That way we can defend and we can know. And that just makes you feel good. That just tickles your ears. We need to fight for what Christ has. So church, let's don't roll over. Let's don't play dead. Let's don't go to sleep. And I want to give you a quote. I want everybody to write down. Get ready to write this down. Write this on your worship guide. This is really good. Christianity is one generation away from extinction. That's all it is. We're one generation away from being wiped out. And in that, we need to make sure that we're growing in what Orthodox Christianity is all about, the Word of God, and then we pass it on and we share it. And when people come to refute it and to fight it, we're strong in Christ. That's the message for this morning. Let's pray.